That's Herb Alpert in the Tijuana Brass. I'm Meg Rowley. And on this edition of Fangraphs Audio, I welcome Jay Jaffe back to the program. Jay and I discuss the Astros' punishment for electronic sign stealing, the dismissals of Jeff Lunau, AJ Hinch, and Alex Cora, and what we want league punishment to achieve in cases like this. We then turn our attention to how the Astros and Red Sox World Series teams and their players will be remembered in the decades to come, and what his association with the scandal might mean for Carlos Beltran's future Hall of Fame consideration. Please note that this episode was recorded prior to the report that Beltran will be stepping down as the Mets manager, but we think the conversation is relevant anyhow. All of that is coming up, but first it is my obligation to tell you that Fangraphs memberships are now available at Fangraphs.com. For the monthly cost of a new year, new you, green smoothie, you can support all the great work at Fangraphs, including Jay's ongoing coverage of the Hall of Fame and the sign-stealing scandal, Ben Clemens's ongoing free agent research, Eric Longenhagen and Kylie McDaniel's top prospect lists, and Craig Edwards' transaction analysis. You may also, for a slightly greater sum, purchase an ad-free membership and enjoy Fangraphs without banner ads, facilitating faster loading times. That bit of business being complete, I take you to my conversation with Jay Jaffe, writer for Fangraphs, which begins right now. started recording we're we're bracing for the impact of potential breaking news while we do this but we must soldier on with the pot uh nonetheless jay how are you i'm good i'm good what i thought was going to be a very uh light week uh in terms of baseball news uh (laughs) after completing my hall of fame series and before uh the coming announcement next week has instead turned into a four alarm fire at the very least with regards to uh all the sign stealing stuff and uh the impact it's having uh, around the major leagues so it's interesting times it has been it has been a really wild two days like the last 48 hours have been incredible we we started monday as you said thinking this would be a slow week thinking Perhaps that, you know, folks like AJ Hinch and uh, Alex Cora might manage the respective teams they had been hired to manage. And then uh, here we are on Wednesday wondering if we're going to have a third major league manager fall before uh, pitchers and catchers report in a month. It's nutty. Yeah, it's it's crazy. And it's almost the most Mets-like thing ever that Carlos Beltran, <laughs> you know, who who was uh, seemed like such an inspired choice to manage the Mets when he was named on uh, uh, November 1st now could be forced out of this job before he even gets to set foot in the Port St. Lucie dugout, let alone the, uh, uh, the, the city field one. It's just, it's, it's the most Mets thing ever practically. And, and, you know, it, along with it come the, the obvious, the, the easy jokes and the reality that, you know, the Mets, if they are choosing this point to draw a line in the sand with regards to integrity, uh, to use a, a, a term uh, that popped up in a recent tweet, then, well, that's rather incongruous given uh, the Wilpon ownership's longstanding commitment to uh, things that are maybe not so full of integrity, such as their involvement in the the Bernie Madoff scam and various other scandals, large and small. So it's interesting times, to say the least. Yeah, you on the one hand I suppose we have to to give some amount of credit for uh you know showing up late to the party at all, but actually we don't have to give them any credit cuz they I don't done I don't anything. feel any need to give them any credit. <laughs> I mean, I think this is if they fire him it'll be a very cynical move. Yes. You know, and, and 
I think it's this is a, this is an eventuality though that they probably should have been preparing two months for because it was two months uh, since you know from the point that Beltran was named uh, to the point that Manfred handed down his decision. You know, and I think there's re- there's room to to question about whether he should have been the one to uh, carry out discipline with respect to Carlos Beltran, and we can we can talk that one through here as well. So you know, I'm trying to write about this. <laughs> it's, uh, the, the, the the landscape seems to be changing by the hour. Yeah, the ground is definitely shifting beneath our feet on this one. Well, let's let's think about that. Let's talk about the the punishment. You know, moments like this are sort of I think interesting challenges for analysts because on the one hand, there is clear cheating and unethical behavior and it's very important that we confront that sort of thing in a clear-eyed way and talk about it as it is. On the other hand, it can lend itself to some rather exhausting moralizing so we're gonna try to we're gonna do our very best on fangraphs audio to split the difference and talk about the the punishment and what we think is appropriate without being too self-indulgent i'm (laughs) confident in our ability to do so but so let's let's start with the punishment of beltran because i think this part has been understandably given the gravity of the penalties that were handed down to the astros and then the gravity of the punishment that we anticipate the Red Sox having to deal with. The Beltran part of this has been sort of left by the wayside, and he's an interesting potential exception to this idea of the commissioner not wanting to punish players who were involved in the banging scheme, which I'm just going to forever be delighted by as a turn of phrase. So, Jay, what is what is your thought? Uh, what is your impression of that decision to concentrate the discipline on the franchise and the senior sort of front office and field staff that was involved in this as opposed to calling out specific players and handing down suspensions? Yeah, I think it was a pragmatic decision on Manfred's part. I mean, you know, in September 2017, when he uh, ruled on the the so-called Apple Watch case involving the Red Sox and Yankees, he stressed then that he was going to hold managers and general managers accountable for the actions of their teams because the rules regarding, you know, what could and couldn't be done, it basically, as he saw it, it was, it was their job to police their players and to enforce those rules in their clubhouses and elsewhere. And, you know, when he, when he filed his report, he said, you know, that, that determining the culpability of, of, you know, the, the effect on, for individual players is impractical you know, difficult as well. And, you know, not that they should be shying from difficulty, but, you know, he's, he's placing the onus on the, on the, on the teams for, you know, for, for, for keeping their own houses in order. So I understand that. And I also, the, also the reality is that uh, uh, if he's going to suspend active players, he's going to have a battle on his hands with the players union. Yeah. Uh, and what's interesting then is, is, and and really kind of the start of this is where is the, the sort of the, the limbo that Beltran is placed in there because he retired after the 2017 World Series, which means he's no longer even able to be defended by the Players Association. They can't appeal on his behalf because he's no longer a member of the union. Right. And, you know, so I think with regards to this report, the fact that Beltran is named as being a central character here, he's the only Astros position player named and the only player besides Mike Fires, the whistleblower, who's mentioned by name in the in the report in a role as a player, you know, Manfred would have been, I think, justified in making an exception to that, particularly knowing that Beltran did not have, you know, the line of defense that 
you know, that, that an active player would have. And I don't think anybody would have blinked if, you know, if, if he had handed down, you know, a similar suspension to Beltran. So, you know, that there, there, there's that. But then, you know, the question is, is why punish the Mets, who were a third party to this situation? And, you know, so far as we know, did not partake in this in this cheating scandal. Why, you know, why they should have to deal with the fallout? And, you know, the answer to that, I think, is that, you know, they didn't do their due diligence. Right. You know, especially once Beltran's name surfaced. I mean, you know, the initial report of the Astros sign stealing scheme was published on November 12th. Beltran's name came out a day later in a secondary report. Mm-hmm. And you know, by that point, Beltran had been, you know, had been officially been manager of the Mets for you know, like 11, 12 days there. So, you know, while this may, this, the report itself couldn't have come up in his job interview. But you'd have to think that uh, Brody Van Wagenen would have asked him about it and grilled him about it. And, and, you know, the Wilpons as well, they would have grilled him about this to make sure that, you know, that he was truthful to them with what he was saying and that uh, uh, this wasn't going to come back to bite him in the event that, uh, you know, that he was mentioned and, you know, or even disciplined in a further uh, action by the commissioner. So, you know, we're getting the sense here that not everybody is on the same page, that the, that the Mets right. are, are upset. You know, they haven't gone on the record, but it's not too hard to, to figure out with all these articles that are surf- surfacing throughout the New York media, you know, that, that somebody in there is talking. Yeah. Um, and, uh, <laughs> it's, it never seems to be too hard to, to sort out the sourcing on that stuff, does it? Yeah. <laughs> especially, with, especially with the Mets. <laughs> yeah, especially with the Mets. I mean, it's just so, there's just so, just, uh, yeah. transparent's not the word to use. No. <laughs> uh, they aren't subtle, put it that way. Yes, un- unsubtle, unsubtle. It's just yeah, it's such a, it's just, it's such a remarkable contrast the two New York teams and, oh and, my and, goodness. Ha- and yeah, how they it's, operate. Yeah, there's there are some uh, organizational differences that we can point to up and down those organizations. I think you're right that I appreciate I appreciate the difficulty of not wanting to disadvantage other teams who may have acquired players who are now on their rosters who were members of this Astros squad, right? Like, and, and as an aside, some of those guys play for the Mets. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Jake, oh, that's, that's a good Jake point. Jake Marisnik is a Met now. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Um, so I appreciate the... Well, J.D. Da- JD Davis. J.D. Davis, yeah. So I appreciate the sort of delicacy of that because you you don't necessarily want to disadvantage other teams in the service of punishing the Astros. And I think that there is, for most players, there probably is an appreciable difference in responsibility between being a guy who sees your bench coach say, this is how we're going to approach hitting this year, and being a player who does that. I haven't found the commissioner's line of reasoning that we uh, don't know how much it could have helped to be all that persuasive because that isn't a bar that we ask anyone to clear, say, for a positive PED test, right? Like they don't have right. to be better. They just that's have a, to That's be, a very good point. Right. They just have to be tainted. But I think that you are right that Beltran's role seems to have gone above and beyond simple participation to orchestration. And so it does seem it does seem like he could have been an exception to an understandable rule especially if he is now going to be in a position of authority in an organization and one of those responsibilities is to ensure the enforcement of this rule (laughs) right right absolutely so it does seem it does seem a bit odd that that 
possibility uh, was seemingly dismissed so out of hand by the commissioner. And maybe his expectation was simply that the Mets would sort of clean house on their own, although, uh, as you've noted, they have not exactly been a paragon of integrity in the past. So that assumption might have been a little naive on his part, even if it ends up coming to fruition through public pressure. Yeah. I guess this has made me wonder, and I think Beltran is a good uh, way to sort of enter this question. And you wrote for Fangraphs about the parallels between this situation and the league's sort of slow reaction to steroids and PED use in the, the 90s and early 2000s. I'm curious what you think what you think the goal of these suspensions and punishments more generally ought to be. Like what are we trying to or what should the commissioner be trying to achieve when going about this because there are some things that I think would be more maybe viscerally satisfying to some quarters especially fans of other teams like particularly the Dodgers, of vacating a title. But you wrote, when you wrote about the Astros sort of punishments, how that that's not a particularly realistic way of approaching this. And the other leagues that have, and athletic organizations that have utilized that approach aren't exactly ones that we necessarily want to emulate. Uh, <laughs> yes, no. In terms uh, of and the Jason, way- Jason Stark had a great article on that for the for the athletic yeah. as well. And, and uh uh, yes, I mean you know if, if we're ta- if if we're going to talk about integrity, I don't I don't think the NCAA uh, or 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 the International Olympic Committee is going no. to top anybody's list. I mean we might as well have FIFA weighing in right. too. Um, <laughs> right, right. Those are all organizations that I trust even less than Major League Baseball. Yes, yes, their investigative capacity has not always been the best, and their um their hand has not always been the most steady when it comes to discipline. But but I think that like vacating a title would be viscerally satisfying especially to some fans, but doesn't seem to be a good way of approaching this. And so absent that, we are left with suspensions, we are left with fines, we are left with the loss of draft picks and international signing money, even though that has not come into play, at least so far uh, in the discipline surrounding electronic sign stealing. What do you think that the commissioner should be trying to do here? Yeah, I mean, I think the foremost, you know, you, you're, you're looking to make an example of, you know, the guilty parties and provide a stern warning to anyone else who's considering this behavior that the consequences for doing so will be severe. I mean, the Astros brain trust, those, those suspensions are only a year, but right now it's, it's difficult to imagine, you know, first of all, both of them were were immediately fired by Jim Crane and let's not talk about his integrity either. Yeah. Um, (laughs) But, you know, right now it's tough to see how they, find their way back to at least parallel jobs. I mean, I one can imagine, imagine, you know, maybe they like down the road, Hinch being a coach or a special assistant or whatever, but, mm-hmm. you know, does he get to be a, the front-facing guy for an organization having been through what he's been through now? Probably not. Likewise right. with, with, with Alex Cora and the Red Sox and, and, and what's going down there. You know, the Red Sox already figured that one out even before Manfred ruled. So, I mean, the, the punishment is the, the, that aspect of the punishment is severe. You know, you're by by doing that and by granting a certain level of amnesty to the players, you know, it, it reminds me somewhat of the Mitchell report in this like, OK, I've tried to make a point here. You know, what I'm saying to the players is you guys better cut it out, too. I'm saying to the other 29 teams, you know, cut it the hell out. It's your job to police this. And now, you know, we move on here. 
with the understanding that, you know, you see that I wield a pretty big hammer and I'll, you know, the hammer will only get bigger the next time I have to make a ruling in this area. Right. You know, I think that, I mean, I'm, you know, I've been very critical of Rob Manford's handling of a lot of things, including this, but I think that, you know, as far as the deterrent he, you know, he placed there, it's pretty big. I mean, the $5 million fine is ticky tack money. It's the most that a team can be fined in cash under the MLB constitution. But, you know, as we, as I noted in my, in, in my piece earlier this week, building on the research of, of Craig Edwards and others whose research he built upon the value of the draft picks is something around $30 million, the, right. the two first rounders and the two second rounders. And that's, if you're picking, you know, at the end of the first round, you know, it, 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 it gets even bigger if you're talking about a, an organization that's, uh, you know, maybe not as successful because they're, you know, then picking higher in the draft and, and getting an, an even greater yield so that's you know that that's that's a pretty solid set of punishments that that's laid down there i mean is it perfect no right but there are structural barriers and and there's there are there, you know in terms of the players union and there are practical barriers in terms of determining the level of you know culpability as as, as manford himself said so I, you know, I, I don't think this was an easy, you know, an, an easy ruling to make. No. I do think under the circumstances, you know, I think I think he did all right. I, I, I you know, I think we can quibble as to whether it should have been one year or two years for, for, for Hinch and Luno or, or whatever. But I think this, the generally, the arrow points in the right direction in terms of whether he did the right thing as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I was I was pleased to find that. And, and I say this, what I'm about to say, like, the the reputation that AJ Hinch has among people in the industry, I think, is really quite different than the reputation that Jeff Lunau has. Mm-hmm. And people seem to like Hinch quite a bit. The folks who cover him uh, have have liked him. He, unlike some members of the Astros organization, has not adopted a sort of antagonistic posture toward credentialed media, uh, hmm. which I quite like. <laughs> right. uh, even if he even if he did tell some fibs around this science stealing business to those credentialed media, uh, <laughs> he is yeah. at least not uh, engaged in some of the other chicanery that the Astros org has. And he seems to have been quite contrite throughout this. And I am glad that he feels sorry, but I'm also glad that him feeling sorry was not sufficient to get him out of significant discipline uh, in much the same way that if we take Luna out his word, which I think there's good cause to be skeptical Mm. about how much he actually knew, but if we take him out his word that he was unaware of some of the specifics of this scheme, that he still had a responsibility to know that he's abdicated and that he needs to be held accountable for even if he wasn't aware of all the ins and outs of what was going on. So I think that that's a positive message to send to organizations because Baseball orgs are so sprawling, you know, you need the person at the top to be nervous at, you know, late hours of the night. Yeah, I agree. I agree with you. And I, I frankly, I think that at the, uh, you know, if it would seem to me that the commissioner could have gone even farther and disciplined Jim Crane too. Yeah. Because if you're, if you're holding, you know, the GM slash, you know, turned president of baseball operations accountable, you should probably also be holding the, you know, his boss accountable too. And, you know, the excuse that, oh, I was minding the business side doesn't really wash. No. You know, I, I think that there were, I don't know, that, that one's maybe a little bit tougher, but you also have to acknowledge again, the reality is that if, 
Rob Manfred starts going after owners, he's he is jeopardizing his own job because he depends yeah. upon those owners, the consensus among those owners, you know, to keep him employed. And if he starts cutting them down for something that, well, now maybe a handful of them are guilty of, right? That becomes a you know, a, a very troublesome spot for for him to be in. And, and I think we have to acknowledge that too. Yeah. And, oh, by, you know, by the accounts, at least it does sound as though Crane was cooperative with regards to the investigation and, and Man, that Manfred could cite an example of Crane trying to police uh, Luno and, and the organization. But, you know, just the same. I, there's, if, I guess if there's, if there's, I'm less satisfied, I'm less satisfied that a billionaire got off than I am that a bunch of millionaires got off, you know, when it comes to yeah. the players. <laughs> and as, as with, as with so many areas of yeah. life, uh, <laughs> this does seem somewhat unfair. <laughs> yeah, I, I would tend to agree. I think that if, if you're going to adopt a, you know, the buck stops here kind of approach, well, who better to have in your sights than the guy with the bucks? Yeah, mm-hmm. it's like he's the one yeah. with all the bucks. Yeah, it's. I think that this is this will always be the fundamental tension and flaw between a commissioner being in a position to discipline one thirtieth of his boss, mm-hmm. and that introduces some incentives that don't always completely align with getting getting punishments situations like this quite right. So let's. Makes you wonder if maybe there ought not to be a, a third party that's responsible for that portion of it, but that seems unlikely to emerge. So, hey, Jay Jaffe, you you uh, you know you are a resident Hall of Fame expert, and I think that one sort of subspecialty that I always rely upon you to have as a result of that is that you have this wonderful long view of the the game and its history. And so, I think you're well positioned to think about this next question because, you know, right now we're we're wondering if AJ Hinch is going to work again and what the Astros organization will look like, you know, two or three years from now after a couple of years of missing top draft picks and how many organizations are going to also be implicated in this. But that those are sort of shorter and medium-term considerations. How do you think that these Astros and Red Sox teams are going to be remembered, you know, 20, 30 years from now when we've had more, sort of more time to reflect on them and some of the you know, maybe some of the really great moments that players had in the run-up to the World Series. And, you know, the both of these teams were so amazing in the years that they won the World Series championship. But our memories of those bits are going to fade. And I imagine that this stuff will be a little stronger. So how do you think that we're going to reflect on these teams 20, 30 years from yeah, now? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. I mean, I think that, you know, I, I look back at the, the, you know, the example of how the likes of Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa and Barry Bonds are viewed, you know, which you know, with with respect to their legacies and, and and performance enhancing drugs. I mean, nobody can deny that they, in their time, gave us a lot of thrills and you know athletic feats that we marveled at, even if we were, you know, asking some questions at the time and but maybe not with the force or you know or the timing you know that we should have those things happened people cheered people paid their money to see it and all of that and they were paid and and people made money off of them as well to bring it back to the owners but you know when we think about their place in history well it's complicated and and people have a very broad set of views on on that with you know regards to some can't you know 
even open their mouths without the words cheater, cheater, pumpkin eater falling out, <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, you know, in the first sentence. And then, you know, some of them are like, well, you know, he played in, you know, at, at a time that uh, there was a lot of this going on and, and uh, uh, a lot of makes, mistakes were made in what was essentially a complete institutional failure. And he's a product of that. Uh, of that time. And yes, what he did may have been wrong, but, you know, to single him out for that is is wrong. And I think you look at the Astros and the Red Sox and you're like, well, this stuff was not particularly well policed, even though, you know, the report now has, has laid out and, and we've seen in the other reporting that baseball did try to clamp down starting with the two thousand you know, the late 2017 season, but this stuff was was still going on and, and through 18. The, the, these these teams are going to be remembered for having, you know, crossed some lines and, you know, the fans aren't going to forget that they enjoyed themselves during their championship runs. And, and, you know, we saw some highlights, but I think we also can, can, you know, can say that maybe this stuff wasn't, maybe they were not quite as impressive now that we know that they were, uh, you know, using uh, illegal means to, you know, to, to get sequences and, and whatnot. And although it does seem more apparent, at least with regards to the Red Sox postseason, because of the presence of monitors, that at least that part of it was on the up and up. Yeah. You know, so as to the individuals, yeah, I mean, I think it maybe takes a little bit of the fun out of uh, uh, rooting for a Jose Altuve or or somebody like that, or um, we don't have any idea the extent to which Jose Altuve benefited in this, but right. just, you know, by association, you know, and, and I think you probably go back and look at the arc of his season uh, as well and, and, and ask some questions and, you know, getting back to Beltran, you know, this is, I guess, not entirely imminent, but looming uh, is whether this is going to prevent him from getting into the Hall of Fame uh, when he becomes eligible on the 2023 ballot. You know, this is actually a part of the article that, I, that I'm working on and was actually the the first part of the article that I was working on before all of this uh, palace intrigue with regards to the Mets uh, started rearing his head. It seemed like, OK, this is a simple question. How do we how do we regard Beltran? And I don't necessarily have. A complete answer for that, but you know we're talking about a guy whose numbers are great, even though they did not reach you know say the automatic milestones or what were once automatic milestones of three thousand hits and five hundred home runs. He's got some pretty darn good numbers as well as uh, the reputation for his postseason accomplishments prior to two thousand seventeen when he didn't really contribute much on the field. You just you know the going berserk in the in the two thousand four postseason and two thousand six NLCS and 2012 with the Cardinals as well. You know, he's a guy who I, he fares well on my uh, Jaws system. He's uh, ninth among all center fielders. I would have, you know, before all this, I would have had no hesitation to vote for him on the first ballot. And now I'm not sure what I would do, honestly. I'm glad I don't have to make that decision today. I'm very conflicted and I'm very conflicted. You know, I'm, I'm saddened by the fact that this guy may have sabotaged his his second career and the you know, what was his due for his first career right in all of this but you know i have to try to look at this objectively i mean i have i have some standards that i that i try to adhere to in terms of intellectual consistency when i confront the hall of fame cases of players using who you know who are who, who are alleged to use peds and that's to draw a line between what came before the implementation of random testing and suspensions in 2004 and what came after you know so if somebody if if somebody's got allegations connected to the survey test well that's not disqualifying as far as i'm concerned or balco right. or the mitchell report 
you know, concerning allegations that predated testing. To me, that stuff is from the, you know, the so-called Wild West era. Well, I'm not sure we can, you know, and, and sorry, to, and to, to continue with that thought, I hold those separately from the guys who failed the test. So under that structure, I would include Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens on my ballot, but I would not include Manny Ramirez. By right. extension, I would not include Alex Rodriguez because he was suspended, you know, in 2014. Uh, not because of the survey test allegation that dated to 2009, but because of the, the biogenesis suspension. Right. I would not rule David Ortiz's, uh, the report that he failed the survey test as, as being disqualified. I just don't think he measures up well enough in JAWS. I understand that other people feel like the postseason stuff trumps that, and that's an argument we can have uh, uh, when he becomes eligible in 2022. Jay, it is an argument that you will end up having when he becomes eligible. <laughs> yes, it's... It is, it is. It's and that's one I've already made in my book, the Cooperstown yeah. Casebook, which you can yes. buy at, at, at your favorite bookstores. <laughs> but I don't want to rehash that. Uh, no. and I'm getting I'm getting off off base here. Anyway, I you know I try to try to adhere to that. I don't really know how I you know how to how to parse this yet with regards to to Beltran. My hunch right now is that this could be a could be a disqualifier. I don't know. Um, yeah. I I think what I want to do is you know, take advantage of the fact that there is a waiting period between, you know, his retirement in 2017 and his appearance on the ballot five years afterwards, which would now be in, in November 2022 for the 2023 ballot. And let's just see which way, you know, the winds are blowing. I'm, you know, I'm sure I, I will, I'll be a voter by then. I'll be a voter as of next year. I'm sure I'll be having discussions with, uh, with other voters and we'll be seeing how Carlos Beltran carries himself from this point on and, and what he says about it and whether any further information comes to light and, and, and how, how that all unfolds. So right. I, I think we're, we're going to need those years to, to figure out what, what, what direction to go. Yeah, I I would imagine that, you know, we don't neither we neither of us know him, uh, but if we did, we might give him some friendly feedback that his apology might want to look a lot more like AJ Hinch's, for example, than uh, Jeff Lunau's. I would imagine the tone yeah. and tenor of that apology is going to matter in hindsight quite a bit, right? Um, if there is defiance, if there is an abdication of responsibility, a failure to take responsibility, I think that that is going to be very troubling to a lot of voters. If he comes out and is contrite and appears to be sorry, that seems like it would go a long way to people at least being able to consider this in balance with his career. You know, if he's just, if he behaves in a way that people feel is failing to take responsibility, I would imagine that that, like you said, that might just be the first line for a lot of people and they yeah. might not get to a career that that deserves a fair amount of consideration on its own. Yeah, I, you know, and I, I think about the uh, the spectrum of uh, Hall of Fame voters and their reactions to the candidacies of Bonds, Clemens, and, and others. And I think, you know, the fact that some of these writers feel that they were lied to, yeah. that that's, the, that's the disqualifier for them. Yeah. You know, and why they will never, you know, never consider it. I mean, it's human nature to make mistakes. We should understand the extent to which, you know, Major League Baseball really on a broad, in a broad sense, messed up the steroid era in terms of its handling. And, you know, they, they, they messed up to a certain extent when it comes to the sign stealing thing by not anticipating the, you know, the, uh, 
the ramifications of putting this video, these video replay rooms in, in every clubhouse and, and uh, giving people this technological access and then taking years before acting, you know, to, to suddenly start cracking down on the rules. And, and, you know, you just, it's just so important for a commissioner and for a league to have, you know, some amount of foresight and to see, to understand mm-hmm. the way that, uh, you know, these rules can be subverted, particularly if they're not uh, strongly enforced. Yeah, I I think that it is perhaps the part of this that has been, I don't know if surprise is quite the right word, but surprising to me because Manfred has demonstrated a a savvy, one could even term it a ruthlessness when it comes to certain aspects of, say, uh, the CBA negotiation and the direction that rosters are going to take and where the money on major league rosters is going to go and how the league, well, how owners can maybe avoid paying players. <laughs> and he is, he has demonstrated a real savvy and outmaneuvered the union on a lot of stuff when it came right. to the CBA. Right. And they just have had to take a big zero on their ability to anticipate both in terms of how it is utilized in games and then how it might be utilized to sort of more nefarious purposes like sign stealing, how replay was going to take the league. They just really were not able to look ahead and say, you know, like they're going to try to find an out in that space between the foot and the bag. People are going to look for an out right there in much the right. same way that they're going to try to figure out that it's a breaking ball or not. You know, they just didn't, they didn't have that one. Yeah. And so it is surprising it's always interesting yeah. where people's sort of savviness shines through and where it really fails them. Yeah. And, you know, isn't this part of the reason why you would want to, you know, the commissioner to surround himself with former players? Right. You know, Joe Torrey being the obvious example in terms of uh, the, the current administration, but not the only one. You know, maybe you need also need some younger blood in there, somebody who has lived through the last scandal era. You know, to understand what, you know, just what, you know, the nature, the nature of competitive edges and how and, and how, you know, how uh, uh, everybody's looking for one and looking first and then trying to figure out if it's over the line or not. Yeah. Because, you know, this is a these are competitive men and they need to be protected from their own competitive impulses, not just when it comes to the rule book, but also when it comes to their own bodies. Yeah. You know, what's uh, th- throwing too much or, or, or trying to come back too too quickly from injuries. I mean. You know, in some ways, they're big dumb animals. You know, and and uh, um, and they need. Aren't we all? They need, yeah, believe me, <laughs> I see it. Um, you know, they need to be protected from from some of their own impulses, and and yeah, you hope that it because let's face it, you know, you hope that everybody has the same, you know, comes to this game, you know, on a strong moral footing, but that's not the case. And, you know, the equations, the risk reward equations are very different. You know, when you start interjecting things like the, you know, the differing socioeconomic backgrounds that these, that these players come from. I mean, you know, if you're coming from, you know, the poverty of, of, you know, the Dominican Republic, you know, for example, using PEDs in order to get yourself a professional contract that may pay you a significant, you know, multi-million dollar bonus that can, you know, help your family move into a, a house with a with a roof over its head. You know, the price of getting caught later using PEDs is is seems like a relatively small one to pay. I don't know. Right. I like. I think that there's, you know, the, the, there's 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 so many different backgrounds that people bring to this, and and. You know, it's true with the sign stealing stuff as well. And, and, uh, you know, which is so it's, it's a lot to think about. 
Yeah, I think that there, you know, when you look at the way that the the direction the game has moved in the course of even the last 10 years, it is unsurprising to me that a group of people who have previously used their savvy and acumen facilitated in large part by improving technology to try to, you know, better design a pitch or figure out the true value of pitch framing or, you know, give some instruction to hitters about where, you know, what their swing path should be so that they can optimize for power, that that same set of people would not look around and say, well, we can use it for a bunch of other stuff too, right? You know, technology presents solutions and that's how a lot of, you know, a lot of the solutions to sign stealing get framed in terms of that. So it was also the entry point for a lot of this iteration of cheating, right? So yeah. it's not it's not all that surprising to me. It seems like a logical extension of the same impulse, which starts, I think, from a reasonable place. Like, let's know more so that we can win more, but can without guidance or supervision or a league office that is obviously paying attention very quickly shift directions into something much dicier, right? Like we figured out how to, we know exactly how many revolutions per minute of baseball takes. Like we figured out how to measure that. We weren't going to figure this stuff out. Come on. Mm -hmm. Like we're, you know, we're, we're smart, big dumb animals. (laughs) Yeah. That's, that's, that's true too. So it's, yeah, I think you're right that like all of that stuff gets brought to bear in these decisions and, they can interact in a way that results in, you know, banging in a trash can, man. <laughs> <laughs> That's such a wonderfully low tech solution. I mean, it's, right? It's, it's it's really funny. I mean, like you yeah. know, we've heard we've heard rumors of 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 other more high tech things like like the buzzing bandages or something, oh, something yeah. like that. And this is just no clank. You know, it's yep. like cave. It's like a caveman. You know, banging on something to make a noise. It's just the. Uh, yeah, Very, I so I I love that as they were searching for the as the players on the Astros were searching for the best way to do this, right? The 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 most effective means of communicating this. And like this is the quote, they eventually determined that banging a trash can was the preferred method of communication. <laughs> <laughs> it's very yeah. bad, right? I yeah. want my laughter should not say it should say to anyone listening that we don't think this is bad. We think it's bad. This may have for some fans like fundamentally altered their perception of baseball and damaged in some irreparable way like the way they think about the game and all of that is very bad. But also that Dylan, I'm going to do a swear. That is funny. That is yeah. funny. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, 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 of course. I mean, you have to be able to laugh at it, just as you have to oh, be yeah. able to laugh at some some of the other absurdities in life, or you're, you know, you're gonna go nuts. Yeah, you know, and it is some of the, some of this is laughable. Yeah, and with regards to you know fans, and you know, suddenly they're shocked that there's gambling going on in this establishment. Right, I right. Mean, yeah, you know, we've seen the sign. This sign stealing scandal has been predated. It has been pointed out by things such as the Patriots' multiple scandals while winning championships, shorthand deflate gate and spy gate being two yep. separate ones that even a non-football fan or decided anti-football fan you know can, can identify and then yeah. you've got an nba referee who was involved with gamblers and attempts to uh fix games or at least point spreads who went to jail you know baseball does not have that problem at least uh, that we've seen in the recent past so 
you know, the idea that suddenly somebody is turned off by this, but so they're going to go watch football, you know, seems <laughs> seems rather laughable too. Yeah, you know, uh, it's they're all all of these sports present problems and loopholes, and one has to figure out, you know, where and when to think about some of these absurdities if you're if you're going to be a sports fan. So yeah, I don't know. it's 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 not easy. Yeah, there there's just there's just too much money at stake for any endeavor like this to be completely clean without without someone paying attention. There's just too much at stake. Personally, on the corporate level, there's just too much money at stake for anyone to be able to assume that we're going to always have good actors all the time. We know we, we know we don't when there are plenty of people watching. So, I think that you got to we just have to uh, have a, a steady hand and a keen eye. And given the league's increasing proclivity for gaming partnerships, which I, I w- geez, I mean, I hope that when we're talking about like having the foresight to look years down the road and yes. seeing abuses, holy, f- um, yes. you know, that like that to me trumps anything else that, you know, Major League Baseball you know, could struggle could struggle to see, to see the, the the potential consequences with. So, yeah, I don't want to underestimate. I mean, I don't want to overestimate it either. But I don't want to underestimate the degree to which this behavior altered the outcome of games. But it was at least done in the pursuit of trying to win those games. Right. You might have all sorts of weird motives working across purposes with one another if the gaming stuff goes awry. So I hope that in addition to getting this right, because that's important for its own sake, I hope that the the league looks at this as an opportunity to, you know, kind of get its ducks in a row in terms of how they're going to think about rules violations and the best way to anticipate those and, and see where the edge cases might be and whatnot, because it's not like this is the last challenge that they're going to have. Right. Uh, right. Grim. That's grim. Well, we'll end on a happy note, which is that um, <laughs> you don't have to cast a ballot for the Hall of Fame that includes Carlos Beltran tomorrow. So you have your time to think about it. Uh, You're going to help other people think about that question tomorrow for Fangrass, which will probably be today when this podcast goes live. Jay, before we go, do you want to give the listeners just a little reminder of the the upcoming Hall of Fame events and what your coverage is going to look like? Yes, that? Um, the announcement will be uh, Tuesday, January 21st. I think that's the actual date. I believe so. Uh, for the first time in recent memory, I will not be at uh, MLB Network Studios to cover that that day for reasons that are not clear to me, but uh, other than perhaps a scheduling conflict, uh, ah. that's not mine. But anyway, uh, I will be doing I will be doing some kind of previews uh, for uh, for fan graphs. I think we'll we will tuck into the the crowdsourcing ballot uh, yeah. for that Monday, which will be fun. I think I will probably also perhaps come up with uh, uh, something short about what to watch for, and then on on Tuesday night after the results, uh, I will do a kind of a big picture take. Uh, on the Wednesday, the twenty second, I will actually I will uh, do a more thorough breakdown, candidate by candidate, of of what the tea leaves say about the results uh, that they got. And then sometime during the week of the twenty seventh to thirty first, I will have something about my five year outlook, updating that with respect to the current results, uh, because every year, uh, because I am not a perfect prognosticator, and because there are ways that uh, the voting continues to surprise me, even though I am. Uh, as focused on it as anybody in the entire industry, uh, we have to revisit that because all of that stuff carries a ripple effect going forward. So For sure. I'm not done with this. I might even come up with another Hall 
Hall of Fame idea if I have one. Uh, I've got a couple uh, small arrows in my quiver here, but uh, I think that should be sufficient. And you can find me opining on this stuff at Fangraphs and on Twitter uh, at J underscore Jaffe. And yeah, I'm not hard to find. <laughs> well, we will we will link to the sign stealing related stuff that you have already written for Fangraphs, and probably the Beltron piece will. Uh, coincide nicely with the timing for this podcast people should be sure to check that stuff out and i think we'll probably need to have you back sometime in the near future jay to do a little hall of fame debrief so we can look forward to another appearance soon great sounds good thanks jay